scripture this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Funny thing that last week, Robert came up to me after service and he asked if I was just teaching out of verse 7 today. And then last week I said, no, I'm going to go through verse 12. And I thought I was going to go up to verse 12, but during my studies this week, we're just doing verse 7. So I can do that, right? So anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your holy word and just really honored, Lord, that you would place folks like Jay in our midst who trust what you are doing in our community and I ask God that that healing would continue in our body and as we look at this scripture in regards to husband and husbands and wives this morning I pray that we are a place where marriages can be healed and encouraged to be uh, biblical and Christ following do what you do Lord we trust it in Jesus name Amen. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The last week we took a look at Christian wives and their role in the family, and so today we're going to take a look at Christian husbands. And here in First Peter, it's an incredibly practical book, as Peter wrote about living the Christian life with the family structure in mind. If we can't live the Christian life at home, how are we going to live it outside of the home? So here he hones in on the family and the home. And so several weeks ago, we began this subtopic within First Peter in regards to submission. And so in our study, it started out being Subject to human institutions, right? A a few weeks ago, we were talking about being subject to civic government. And then that same sermon, we talked about submitting to authority figures in our employment context. And then that was followed by taking a look at Jesus, the ultimate example of submission. And then last week, we took a look at wives within the family structure. All of that is in iTunes if you need to take a look at that. And as we look at husbands today within the family structure, let's keep in mind that we live in a fallen world. And I don't believe that it's getting any better. Peter wrote in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 3, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power. Avoid such people. Peter and Paul were right. That was written 2,000 years ago. And things are not getting better in this world. See, our fallen world is not helped by a disordered church either. A confused church. And there are many confused, many disordered churches today. And I think the enemy is attacking us the same way we were attacked the very first time in the Garden of Eden. God's authority was attacked then just as it is attacked today. And the family was attacked then just as it is attacked today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It was an attack on God's authority back then just as it is an attack on God's authority today. Did God actually say that? Did He say that? See, if you and I get to the point of confusion in what God has already said to us. The door is open for God's authority to be attacked. Now let's move on to verse 2 in Genesis chapter 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So yes, God said that. Right? God said that. And see, that's how the enemy starts. He challenges whether God actually said that. And if we come up to the point where we know that He said that, the enemy has this follow-up tactic to confuse us, and it's in verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Did you notice that? See, it first starts out with, did God actually say that? Did He say that? And then it moves to, that's not what He meant. That's not what he meant. You won't die. You won't die. You misinterpreted God. That's not what he meant. And it's the same exact attack today, which is why many in the church are confused because they're confused about God's authority on whether God actually said what he said. And if he said it, that's not what he meant. So it's nothing new. Did God actually say that about marriage? Did he say that? Did God actually say that about your role as a wife? Did God actually say that as your role as a husband? And if he doesn't get us there, Satan, it'll move to, that's not what God really meant. That's not what he really meant to say when he said that. And what all the confusion boils down to is this. The authority of God's Word. That's what it boils down to. If the enemy can cause enough confusion to distract us from the authority of the Bible, then he has succeeded, and then we begin that collapse. Right? That domino effect starts to happen. We'll have nothing to stand on, and the rest is just kind of easy work for him to do. just kind of continues on. See, the Word of God is our foundation. It's not our marriage. Focusing on our marriage is a great thing. But that's not the focus. It's the authority of God's Word. Same thing with work. Same thing with submitting to our earthly citizenship and civic government. It's not those things that we're to focus on. It's focusing on God's Word. Even though those relationships, all those relationships, marriage, work, citizenship, they're all really important. But if you really want to knock Christianity off of its feet, 
attack the foundation. You don't necessarily attack the marriage or the government or, or those things. He's smarter than that. You want to attack something that knocks all three off? You attack the authority of God's Word. The rest of it falls down. And it's so important for us to know what God said, but that's not all because Eve knew what He said. She just was confused on what He meant. So it's more than what He said. We also need to know what God meant. And what God meant needs to correspond with what He said. And that's what I really love about many of you. I'm confronted quite a bit by folks, you know, just last week, just last week, a couple of people came up to me after my sermon last week and they asked me to give them again the scripture references that I use because they wanted to look them up themselves and study it for themselves. That's so awesome. I love that. It is so important for you to examine what people say, what I say, and not just accept it. It's so important for our church to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, where Luke wrote about them in verse 11, writing, they received the word with all eagerness. And I see that in some people. You know, you're taking notes and you're eager to take it in. Examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Just like those people last week, yeah, I'm taking notes, but I'm going to come up to you. What were those Scriptures again? I love it. That's great. Don't just take everything that I say as biblical. Just look it up for yourselves. Look at it. And receive the Word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily. So you see why the church is so disordered today? Because not everyone's like this. Not everyone looks at that stuff. Not everyone kind of confirms what the Bible is saying with what the church is saying. And many don't know what God actually said. And if they do know... They can quote it to you. They can quote you what the Bible says. But then they say, that's not what God meant. Hence the confusion. And I've always wanted to use that word hence in a sermon. It's just so like... And I've always wanted to say it with the English. Hence. Anyway, I got it out of my system, so now I don't have to do it again. Now, something about the principle of submission and what we've been looking at for the last few weeks you'll notice that there is instruction for those of us who are to be subject to our respective authority. But there is also instruction for those who are in authority. So it's not just a one-way street. This is a two-way street. There's mutuality within this relationship. For example, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, we are instructed by Peter to be subject to those who we work under with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. So you see that it's not a one-way street. In mutuality, we find several instructions for employers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In the relationship between children and parents. Here's a quick story that I need to share with you. It's about my eldest daughter. She has a lot of good stories. A couple of years ago, my eldest daughter asked me what verses she should memorize. So I told her, the first verses you need to memorize, honey, are Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And so she goes into her room, 
and she opens up her Bible and she starts reading and then all I hear in her room is, Oh, Dad! This is why. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so one day we're at the dinner table and she was giving my wife and I a challenging time as all children do. And I reminded her of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. And so how did she respond? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And she told me, Dad, you are provoking me to anger. And so I responded, Touche, my young apprentice. Yoda has taught you well, right? So you see the mutuality. Mutuality, right? It's not one way. And so it goes for all of these submissive relationships that we've been exploring together here in First Peter, including the relationship between husband and wife. And what Peter was writing back then was totally countercultural in his day. I mean, this is revolutionary thinking on Peter's part to think that a husband and a wife are equals. Not a chance back in this time. No way. You see the power of Christianity. You see the power of Jesus. He set wives free. He set them free. He set women free. See, prior to Christianity, in the Roman culture, it was very oppressive to women. It's much like much of the world today. There's a lot of the world today that does not give women the equal footing of men in in the world where women are treated like second-class citizens. It's all over our world. And in some societies today, women are treated just like they were treated back in the Roman Empire, some even worse. See, back in Peter's day, a woman's freedom was extremely limited. Even the emperor's daughter didn't have some certain rights. Caesar's daughter didn't have rights because of her gender. She had less legal rights than a man. Including this, parental rights, none. Those aren't her children, they're his children. She had no rights. Women weren't allowed to be in politics. They weren't very well educated, if at all. If you were like Caesar's daughter, then perhaps you learned how to read. But the average person out on the street, you didn't get anything. They educated the boys. The girls didn't get anything. So you see how punk rock Jesus and Peter and Christianity is? For them to write, we're co-heirs. What? What? Revolutionary thinking. It wasn't written before. And so in verse 7, 1 Peter, it starts like this. Likewise, husbands. Likewise? You mean mutuality? The same? Likewise to what? Likewise to citizens having a submissive spirit to their government. Right? If you go back a few verses, you got to go in context, right? Likewise, to employees having submissive spirits to their authority figures within their employment. Likewise, to Jesus as the ultimate example of a submissive spirit. Likewise, to wives possessing submissive spirits to their husbands. And then continuing on with this submissive spirit, likewise, husbands. Likewise, husbands what? Live with your wives in an understanding way. 
what does understanding way mean? Understanding? I mean, does it mean that if you see that your wife needs help with something, like groceries going up the stairs, you go out and you help her? Does it mean that if you notice that she's cold when you're walking out in the street, that you take your coat off and you offer it to her? Is that what it is? That's part of it. It's part of it. But it's beyond just what's mechanical. Right? Like, oh, she needs help with groceries, therefore I need to go downstairs and pay it Oh, she's cold. I need to take this off. This is more than mechanical, right? It's to live with your wives according to knowledge. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Well, what knowledge was Peter referring to? What is he referring to? Well, we need to take a look at what Peter wrote already. And so we turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Former Ignorance. Former ignorance. Before we had a relationship with Jesus as our God, we lived in this former ignorance. We were ignorant of the ways of God. Right? We were ignorant of how we were to live. We were ignorant at how we were to live within a marriage relationship. Now that Jesus is our Lord, we are no longer ignorant of those former ways, and we are to live in an understanding way, in a way according to knowledge. The knowledge that Jesus has given us when we received Him as our Lord and accepted the Holy Bible as His Word to us. Right? The Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, which has redefined what love is, redefined what marriage is, redefined what equality amongst genders is and how the world defined it to how the Holy Scriptures define this. So that the Christian does not define what marriage is from their own perspective or from the world's perspective, but how the Bible defines it. How does the Bible instruct the husband to live with his wife? Live with your wives in an understanding way. To live with your wives according to knowledge. Now what is this knowledge? That marriage is more than just your certificate. That it's more than just the legal definition of what marriage is. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where it's written, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now you skip down to verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I think she was called woman because when Adam saw her, he said, Woo, man! Anyway, as Christian husbands, I stole that from Bill Cosby, I think it is. As Christian husbands, we have to have a biblical understanding. We must live with our wives according to this biblical knowledge. And when we have this understanding, it strongly influences how we live our lives with our wives. 
We don't live the same way as other men in the world live. We don't think the same. We don't talk the same. We don't act the same. We don't watch the same things. We don't read the same things that will show that we don't have that knowledge on how do we live with our wives. We don't do that stuff. We understand the boundaries God has outlined for husbands in His Word. We understand the purpose of marriage. We understand what 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6 through 6 means for our wives and how we are to support them in being godly women. We understand that 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 means when Peter wrote, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Showing honor to your wife. Now a couple of synonyms for the word honor from the Greek word is value and preciousness. Value and preciousness. Meaning, your wife has tremendous value to her. Tremendous value. It's not a monetary value, but there is a price that was paid. There was a price that was paid for her. God sent His only Son, Jesus, to live and to die for her. And your wife is of significant value, and God has entrusted her to you as her husband, meaning your wife is extremely precious. She is God's daughter. No pressure, guys. No pressure at all. She's only God's heiress. I mean... The guy that marries my daughters is going to feel the pressure. <laughs> He's going to feel it, right? He's going to feel that. Can you imagine? You have God's daughter. You think it's going to be, ah, ah, it's cool, whatever. I can do whatever I want. You're dreaming, man. You're crazy. If I, as an earthly father, I am going to put the pressure you don't think God, the Heavenly Father, you think He's just, eh, whatever? You're out of your mind. No way. Have you shown your wife how valuable she is? What in your life demonstrates how precious your wife is to you? How have you honored her? Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So by nature, your wife is the weaker vessel. I'm going to go into this before you women turn me off. Okay, don't, don't, just stay with me. I have four daughters. I'm with you. Now, you notice the word is weak-er. It's not weak. Peter didn't write the weak vessel. Meaning, guys, you're weak too. You're just weaker, right? You're weak. And the husband is weak as well. It's not that the husband is strong and the wife is weak. We're all weak. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. We're all weak. And to say the woman is the weaker vessel, that's not, it's not a put down. It's not a negative thing. It's not to imply inferiority of women. So don't misinterpret the Scriptures. Yes, God said it, but what does He mean, right? God said this, but what does He mean? See, women's rights have been violated in the past and they're violated today. I'm all for them. This is the thing. Let's not think that this issue is merely an earthly issue. 
It is not. This gender equality is a spiritual issue. It is deeper than an earthly issue. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When looking at this really important issue of women's rights through the eyes of a Christian, we have to look at it biblically. And how is that discussion bypassed by the world? How do they just kind of shoo the Christians away? Because what if the world doesn't like what God has to say about the issue, that God actually said that? What if they don't like that? So what do they have to do? Because they don't even like to ask the question, did God actually say that? Because when they find out, well, I don't like what He said. So what do they do? Because then you don't even go to the follow-up question of what does God mean by what He said if you just disregard the whole thing and just ignore what He said in its entirety. And that's what you have to do. And that's what secular folks have done. They come to this and they say, you know what? When we look at roles of a man and woman in a marriage relationship, that's what God actually said? I don't care what it means. I don't like it. So they throw it out. And so then there aren't any distinct roles. And then who's to say what is proper or improper within a marriage context? And if one can't define what is proper or improper, then it all becomes about preferences. And when it comes to preferences, who's to tell me that a preference is wrong? You see how the language has changed? From what is righteous, holy, more distinct in terms of black and white, it's ventured into this grayness area to where we use words like preference. Because who's to tell you that your preference is wrong? White rice or brown rice? I prefer white. You're wrong. Why? I like white. It's not wrong. And so, who's to tell you that a preference is wrong? And so you see how the world has evolved and how it has defined marriage. Preferences. And yes, God did actually say that a woman is the weaker vessel or a wife is the weaker vessel, right? It's that context. That the wife is a weaker vessel. But what does that mean? So God said it. Now what does it mean? Now we know that women are not weaker morally, intellectually. In any way that I can think of as women and men, I can't think of anything where women are weaker except one physically. And it's not a put down on women at all. It's just the way that God made us in terms of our biochemistry, different bone structure, muscle mass. It's just different. But is that what he's talking about when he says weaker vessel? Is he saying physically? I don't think so. I don't think that's it at all. I don't think it's any particular attribute of a woman that makes them a weaker vessel. I don't think it's any attribute. I think it's this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. Let me explain. Perhaps what makes the wife the weaker vessel is taking on the function as a wife. Prior to that, she's just the same as you. But because she became your wife, you made her weak. Let me continue. When the woman has agreed to be a wife and consented to undertake 
her role on the marriage team, which is to be subject to her husband. And because she has decided to fulfill this role of frightening vulnerability, that puts her in a place of weakness. So here, Peter wrote that since your wife has chosen to fulfill her important part in the marriage partnership, she has elected to put herself in a place of weakness, in a place of vulnerability as a wife. And since she has opted for this important role within marriage, don't you take advantage of it. Don't abuse her trust. Don't exploit her vulnerability. Honor her. Value her as the precious daughter of God that she is. So husbands, when your wife sees this great opportunity for her to partake in, honor her. Support her. It's more than likely time to encourage her, not to discourage her from those things that God has gifted her with. It's not the time to guilt her or to shame her into thinking, you know, that's not the opportunity for you. I think what's for you is this. Step off. It's time to support your wife. Encourage your wife. Or perhaps if you see your wife is overwhelmed with what's going on with her, value her. Right? It's not the appropriate time to pile more things on. Oh, you can handle more. Oh, you can do more. Oh, that's not that hard. It's not time for that. So by nature, your wife is the weaker vessel. Your wife, not women. And it's not because she is incapable of the things that you are capable of or that you're better at everything so that she's weaker. It's not that at all. Your wife can do some things better than you. She's smarter than you in some ways. She's definitely more moral than you are. Anyway, it has nothing to do with a particular attribute that makes her a weaker vessel. It's by the natural design of God in her function as a wife that makes her extremely vulnerable. And so I liken it to this. The military, right? You have a colonel, a high-ranking officer, but he still submits to the general. And the colonel is not any weaker intellectually, morally, physically, or, or any way is the colonel weaker in any way. In fact, the colonel may be better prepared in many ways than the general. Right? He may be better in all those ways. What gives him the authority is his position, is his role within the military. The colonel is weaker because of his choice to submit to the officers that are in authority. That he's chosen to be in the military. And the colonel is made vulnerable in the general's decisions. Even though he might not agree, even though he thinks differently, even though he may be better qualified, he still submits under the general. And it's kind of like that within a marriage relationship. It's the role of the wife that has made her the weaker vessel. It's not her as a woman. It is not anything in regards to an attribute. It is in regards to this partnership of marriage since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now you notice that wives are heirs with you. 
your co-heirs. And again, this is so punk rock in Peter's day. Like, what? What? And so by grace, we are equal heirs of Jesus. There's no difference in our salvation. There's no difference in how we were saved by the same Savior. We were cleansed by the same sacrificial blood of the Lamb. We have the same grace. We have the same heaven. Everything is the same. So you see that there's no difference in our relationship with Jesus. Now, why is any of this important anyway? Why does any of this even matter? And it's not for the sake of marriage. It's not for the sake of like, oh, we're going to live happily ever after with our .9 children and go go whatever. And I, I helped up that average, by the way. But anyway, it's not about marriage. It's not about family. It's not about any of those things, which sometimes the family and even marriage relationships can become idolatrous. Where they become an idol. Where we place our family or our spouse, children, ahead of God. See, our, our families, our spouses, our children, they are extremely important. Extremely important. But if those relationships come before your relationship with God, those are idols. They've become idols. So why is the role of the wife and the role of the husband important? It's not so you can be a good mommy and daddy. It's not even so that you can be a good husband and wife to each other. It has nothing to do with family. It's this. Verse 7. So that your prayers may not be hindered. It's all about your relationship with God. It has nothing to do with your kids or your spouse. So that your prayers may not be hindered. It's all about you and God. What happens in your marriage relationship deeply influences your spiritual life. And when your marriage life is off, your spiritual life is off. right? So we can't say that our relationship with God is good when our relationship with our spouse or when other people are not good. Even if it's not with other people, it's not good with God. For example, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Last one, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So in order for us to be right spiritually, to have a right relationship with God, our relationships with others, including our spouse, they have to be right. So if you're married and you're a husband, how is your relationship with your wife? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life with your wife? When's the last time that you prayed with her? And if things are off in your marriage, I want to encourage you that God's grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, His love are waiting just right there for you. And that you can approach God and talk to Him about it. Now many of you aren't married and you're wondering, like, hey, how does this apply to me? I don't have a wife. I don't have a husband. Thank God for that. No. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Marriage is awesome. I love it. I love being a dad. I love being a husband. It's the greatest form of transformation for me. It's the greatest form of getting me closer to God that has ever happened. So it's a great thing, right? So I don't want to downplay that. 
But this is in the context of submission. So don't take this out of context, those of you who are single, to think like, oh, I'm less than because I'm not married and I'm not a husband and I'm not a wife. Take this in the context of what we've been talking about. We've been talking about submission, whether it's civic government, employment, looking at Jesus as the ultimate example, and then we move to the family structure. And things just apply to you, and it's more within the context of submission. right? It's not to say you're less than because you're not married. It's in the context of submission. So we're looking at the principle of submission over the past few weeks, and so you need to look at it in that kind of the context, right? You're, you're no less than. And there are these principles to pull from these principles of submission and to live by those things. We're all in submission to someone else, right? Within a family structure, within citizenship, within employment. And so how do we function knowing that we are the person that is in submission to someone else? Because that is so hard to do. We rebel against those things. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. But that's the problem. It's not about someone telling you what to do. It's all about our relationship with God, right? Just like that verse, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's not your relationship with the government. It's not your relationship with your employment. It's not your relationship with your spouse that is the real thing that's going to be hindered. It's your relationship with God. So if you are married, or if it's in your horizon, and you look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, regarding husbands and wives, yes, God said that. And I hope that these last couple of weeks were helpful in what that means for you. So he said that. Now what does it mean? Now it's time for us to live according to his word. And we look at this context of submission in these past few weeks. How are we to live? One last exhortation to you husbands, for you to honor your wives, to value them as God's precious daughter. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for removing the oppression that women have felt through the ages, and still a lot of work needs to be done in regards to that. But I do ask, Lord, that you will protect that it swings too far to where your authority and your word is disregarded because they don't like what you actually said. And perhaps it is the church's responsibility to explain what you actually meant and not to propagate the further oppression. So I ask, Lord, that you would equip us to represent you well. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen.